Hello, and I'd like to welcome you to the third episode of the Retro Gamer U podcast, the anarchistic, artistic, retro experience treat for your ears. This being the first episode since the passing of the Queen, I'd like to say that uh, Charles has stepped up to be king, and already he's decided to better his situation and get rid of some of his worst advisors. Obviously, Jimmy Savile has already shuffled off this coil, and he thought he'd go for something a bit more modern, a bit more representative, and have several advisors. So his new team will be Rolf Harris, Jelaine Maxwell, and Bill Cosby. Clearly, he'll have all the bases covered there and have some fantastic advice. This brings me on for a segue to say that uh, it's probably well known that the Queen herself was quite fond of a little bit of the Nintendo Wii. And believe it or not, yes, you're getting old, the Wii basically is retro nowadays. Deal with it. Now, I'm going to ask an interesting question. Was the Wii a success? Money would say it was. You see, the Wii was massively in demand and it suffered from a similar problem which people who wanted an Xbox X and a PS5 will have experienced nowadays. Throughout its first year of release, there was a console shortage, basically because it was in that big a demand. And some people, instead of spending the £180 the machine was supposed to be, ended up having to pay absolutely through the nose for it from scalpers. Nintendo didn't really anticipate the huge success of the Wii, so the production rates were lower than they probably should have been. And at one point, the console even outsold the combined sales of the PS3 and Xbox 360 in several regions. And by the end of 2006, it had sold 3.2 million units worldwide. So being such a hot-out-the-gate item which was coveted by scalpers' success, right? Well, there's a thing that you talk about in the world of games called an attach rate. What this basically means is the amount of games that people buy for the console they get. Now, that's where the Wii fell a little bit. Wii Sports was a glorious tech demo, really, in some ways. Yeah, it was fun, I enjoyed it, but it was a proof of concept to show you what the machine would be capable of, much like Wii Play was with... That was a piece of software to teach you how to use the remote. The problem was, when you got past this sort of thing, there's some people who never brought anything else. The Wii itself started out as being called Revolution, and when Nintendo were originally looking at this console, the, the idea really was to offer a new simplistic way to play through the remote and to get people back who hadn't gamed for a long time and to attract brand new users. Because for some people, if you've not been into games ever before or not for ages, a Xbox or PlayStation pad full of buttons, full of sticks, probably can seem a little bit daunting. Whereas the Wii, you've got this one stick, and yes, there's several buttons on it, but it's... You know, there's primarily an A button and a trigger. And with the whole motion controls, just being able to swing it, point it. If somebody can use a TV remote, they can use a Wii remote. But for me, this is kind of where the problems start. You see, there was a lot of good games that came to the machine. But in a lot of cases, there was this sort of, we must add a waggle feature in. We must have pointing. We have to use these abilities that the controller and the machine have. And that is not the best way to go about a game. 
if the simplest way to make your character jump and do what they're supposed to do is press a button, then press a button. Don't be waving a stick in the air just to make somebody jump. It doesn't work. For me, many of the platform's best games actually didn't really use the remote. Look at Super Mario Galaxy. It's hardly used at all. Mostly you're using the buttons. Same can be said of Fire Emblem, the new Super Mario Bros. Wii, Punch-Out. I absolutely love Punch-Out. And other things like Twilight Princess, you know, a lot of it you can do without the remote. The remote is not really central to the idea of the game. So, looking back at the console and all the games available for it, there are some great games on there. But there's a lot of shovelware and wheat and chaff to push your way through. But there's a lot good about the machine. The virtual console on it where you could pay for your snares and Mega Drive games was fantastic for people who sort of wanted emulation but through a legal route. It was a great machine as well with its simple controls for trying to pull family members into the game, trying to get people to give video games a try. And I still think, you know, if you pull a Wii out, it works in that way. Also, it has to be said that if you like light gun games and don't possess a CRT tally, it's an excellent way to get lots of cool light gun games. House of the Dead 2 and 3, Ghost Squad. I even like Link's Crossbow Challenge, which, you know, simplistic shooter. There's some fantastic RPGs on there. I think I've previously mentioned Xenoblade. But then there's also The Last Story, which is magnificent. There's Pandora's Tower. And if you get one of the original Wii's, it's a GameCube. Add the memory card, add the controller. But I really, really think one of the areas where they failed was by trying to shoehorn waggle pointy controls into everything and this is a trap that the switch nintendo's latest console has totally avoided there's a touch screen on the switch and i basically forget there's a touch screen there because when a game has no use for it it's not used i think it's well worth tracking down a cheap way if you go into your likes of cex you can find titles like LEDs, samba the amiga Link's Crossbow Training, Excite Truck, and Metroid Prime 3 for like £6 and under. And they are good games. Just, you know, ignore Family Tiddlywinks and Party Collection 5 and Pet My Dog. And, you know, there's a good machine there. Also, I think they're a pretty darn good machine to uh, mess around with and get some homebrew on. And other such wink wink nudge nudge stuff. Okay, so the other topic I wanted to handle was arcade machines. Or to be precise, what do you see in terms of arcade machines nowadays? How have things changed? When I was a kid, my mum and dad had a caravan down in a place called Anderby Creek. Which effectively is a really quiet little place but it's dead close to Mablethorpe and Skegness. And yeah, I'd go down and dig sandcastles and all that other sort of stuff, but I would spend an absolute monster amount of time in the arcades playing stuff such as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, the X-Men arcade game, Final Fight. And it wasn't just at the seaside. 
My local pizza parlour had a Combat Tribes arcade machine in it. There was a hairdresser that had about four cabinets in the back. There was a game shop with a couple of cabinets, including a power drift. You just kind of saw them all over the place. It was quite common to have one in the back of a working men's club. I saw a lot of Neo Geo stuff like Fatal Fury Art of Fighting in working men's clubs. Sort of something you could kick the kids on to keep them out of the way. Nowadays, the only thing you're really likely to see in a pub or working man's club is either a gambling machine for the adults or for the kids you might see some form of capsule toy machine. And on very, very rare occasion, I've seen them have like a PlayStation or an Xbox in a sealed unit that can be played. But not an arcade machine. And even when you go to the coast, a few months ago I was in Skegness and yes, there were arcade machines, but trawling up and down, I didn't see a single upright joystick-based cabinet, like a jammer cab. All of the arcade machines that they were, were either light gun-based games or they were driving games, Mario Kart, Superbikes... All that kind of thing. I saw the odd pinball table, but again, that's incredibly rare. The whole place was just packed out, really, with 2P fountains, which, yes, they do hold a certain amount of nostalgia for me. Teddy bear claw machines, which just, you know, they've always been, shall we say, a little bit hard, kind of a rip-off. But you used to actually win teddy bears before you put your life savings in one. And now they are just so fake. You watch the claw go down. You watch it wrap around the teddy. And you watch it just limply open and drop the thing straight away. You don't even believe you're going to win it for a second. And if you do keep shoveling money in, by the time you win that beer, which, let's face it, it's just because eventually the claw will shut once properly out of a hundred times, you have paid, like, Ten times that teddy bear's worth. Where once arcades would be full of the sounds of excited kids, they're mostly now full of the sounds of gambling addicted old people shoving money after money into various slot machines, congratulating themselves when they win a tenner, even though it's took them £30 to do so. Somehow they missed that crucial thing. They've still won, despite the fact they've shoveled more in than they've got out. Don't get me wrong, I've had a real good laugh playing the Mario Kart driving arcade game, Superbikes, Terminator Salvation. I do like the big attraction arcade machines. They are cool, and I'll hunt them down, and I've got lots of recorded footage of me playing them on my YouTube channel. But I would really, really just like to see a couple of joystick-based jammer cabs to see an old final fight and people are going to tell me you can go to these like video game museums or these specialist bars that are set up where you know you can pay 20 pounds to stay an hour and play whatever you want but it's not the same it's fake nostalgia really at one stage i owned my own arcade machine which i unfortunately don't anymore and even that i would argue to an extent was fake nostalgia because i could just keep touching two wires together and play forever for nothing 
it was more like having a car. It was something I could upkeep. It was the bigger thrill was the working on it, repairing it, cleaning it, repainting it. It was more of an ongoing project than a games machine. There's something novel about hearing those arcade sounds coming all around you. Walking up to see people play on Street Fighter 2 and sticking your 50 pence on the side of the cabinet to indicate that, you know, you're going to challenge the winner. It's just lost. It doesn't exist anymore. And in some ways, I don't think it could. In a way, I'd say that kids have changed and that they don't respect the machines anymore because half the machines I found were broken and parents were sitting their kids on them, kicking the living heck out of them, pulling at bits and generally trashing them. And But it's not the kids' fault, is it? This is the adults. There are adults that simply want their children to be quiet, so will allow them to beat the living heck out of somebody else's expensive equipment. So I suppose the question is, do arcades exist? And the answer is, yes, but they are nothing like you'll remember them. They are not what you know. You can get fun out of them, you can enjoy them, but don't go to them expecting to revisit your past. Maybe go there and make some new memories. So that brings me to the end of our show. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you missed the first and second episode, I'd like to say they're still up and readily available. And being a retro podcast, you know, it's not cutting-edge news you're missing there. If you like hearing about old games, still be relevant tomorrow, still be relevant next year. If you simply need to hear more of my voice and find that a 15-minute size podcast is not enough for you, then I would like to say that I was on Ped's Retro Game Shack talking about the game Tinykin as well as Wrestling Empire. And that's about an hour long if you really need to hear my wonderful voice for that sort of amount of time. And more importantly, I hope you join me next time for even more retro goodness. But in the meantime, if you want to find more retro chat, then join me on the Retro Gamer Unofficial Forum, which can be found at www.retrogamerunofficial.com. It's a great place that's growing every day, full of awesome people happy to chat about retro games and other topics, so why don't you join up and join in? Also, you can find my various YouTube videos, including a great little series on Master System arcade conversions, lots of Super Nintendo reviews and horror movie reviews. If you look at my name on YouTube, Kerr9000, K-E-R-R-9000 in numbers. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to some of the other awesome YouTube creators who you can find on the Retro Gamer unofficial forum. This includes 81632bit, who produces some awesome reviews. Merman1974, again he covers a lot of retro subjects. USR1 Retro and Ped's Reviews who's done all kinds of reviews including very cool short form factor reviews which are great for when you just want something that you can quickly watch. I'm sure there's some people I've forgotten but that's even more reason to get on the Retro Gamer unofficial forum, join in the chat and see what awesome links you can find to other stuff. Once again, thank you very much for joining me, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Keep on gaming, and most importantly, take care of yourselves. Laters, taters.